title of today's message is Real Life Begins When You Get to the End of Your Comfort Zone. Real life begins when you get to the end of your comfort zone, yeah. to the end. Other than that, you're existing. Other than that, you're, it's, you know, uh, I just hope things will turn out. No, you, you, you got to do something different. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Like, you know, some people want to get healthy. Well, you need to join a gym. Oh, God, please make me healthy. <laughs> there are things that you can do that are outside your comfort zone. And believe me that if you were to join a gym and you haven't been there before, you'll be well out of your comfort zone. <laughs> but here's the deal. As long as you can stay thankful for where you are and what's, what's going on, you're good. But if you'll start complaining, I wish I was this and I wish I was that, God will challenge you and say, okay, what's the seed you're going to plant? You want health? The seed you're going to plant is join the gym. <laughs> no, but it's just, it's simple. Whenever you talk to God about a need, he will immediately talk to you about a seed. Okay, what, okay, I'll do that, but what are you going to plant? What are you going to give me to work with? You want me to pour out a blessing on you without you doing anything, but I'm not allowed to do that. If I broke my covenant to, to bless you, the universe would fall apart because it's kept together by my word. What does he think about the word? He called himself the word. He said, I magnified my word even above my name. So if I want something different, it's not, as they say, rocket science. It's I've got to do something different. If I keep doing the same thing, I'm going to keep getting the same results, right? You keep planting corn, you keep getting corn. You'll never get those potatoes or whatever it is you're after. Something has to be done, and it's, it's got to be up to you. But Well, let me give you an example here. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, talking about Abraham. And this will be out of the Passion Translation. I like the Passion Translation. You like the Passion Translation? Lots of people using it these days. So this is what he says in Hebrews 11, 8. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar leave the familiar to discover territory that he was destined to inherit from God. I mean, God gave them the promised land, but they had to go in and get it. If they stayed outside, like some of them died there 40 years, they waited and never ever got in. Why? Because they wanted God to do it, and God brought them there to do it. What are you saying? I'm saying, <laughs> do I have to make it clear? Okay. So, he left the familiar to discover the territory that he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. Abraham stepped out in faith and lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land as though it belonged to somebody else. He journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded they also were co-heirs of the promise. His eyes and his faith were set on a city that has unshakable foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, he's saying, I I'm looking for things in the natural, but I'm really looking out for the supernatural. The things that I get receive in the natural are just to keep me focused on what is real. 
your goodness is running after me. Amen. Praise God. How about Moses? Moses, Moshe, called from the river. What a guy. Hebrews 11.24 says, Faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity, choosing instead to suffer the mistreatment of the people of God. Moses preferred faith certainty above momentary enjoyment and sin's pleasure. I like what the fact that he said sin was pleasure. Because anybody that says that sin's not fun is lying to you. If it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> but, the, but there's a high, what he's saying is he saw a bigger picture. You see, the reason why people continue in sin is because they don't see. If they could see God and his promises and, and not just sit on the premises, but in, inherit his provinces, promises, everything changes. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, we're not living for self. And again, it's like I said, you know, um, the Bible says that humility is not about uh, uh, ignoring yourself, or but but paying less attention to yourself than you have been. It's like, <laughs> how did I say that last week, Lord? Mm. Mm. Yeah, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Look, and when you think about yourself less, there's a freedom that you can't get any other way. All of a sudden now, I'm not spending my time praying over me. I'm praying over you. Amen. Anyway, faith, Moses. Moses preferred faith's certainty above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasure. He found true wealth. See, that's the difference. He found true wealth. He suffered, he suffered abuse, the abuse of being anointed. None of you have ever experienced any of that. No, no, it's amazing when you become a Christian, you think, there, it's all better now. You don't realize you just got hit with a bullseye. I got a cross and now I got a bullseye. Now the devil sees me and he's going to come against me. Yeah, but that only makes you stronger. It's like resistance training, right, Paul? You put more weight on because you want to get those pythons growing on your arms. Yeah, see, that's it. Yeah. The more resistance that you have, the bigger you grow. That's life. That's life. And to try and avoid resistance, that's death. More than anything the world could offer him, he, he realized this true wealth was because he was anointed. And so he took the abuse, knowing that, that, that he, it was making him stronger. In this world, you will have tribulation. Promise. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's saying, cheer up. When you're going through trouble, cheer up. Turn to somebody and say, you need to cheer up. I know it's hot outside, but you're in the kingdom. You're not outside. If you like the heat, you can always go to hell. No. <laughs> There's no thermostat there. There's no air exchanger. It's like I always tell people, heaven or hell, smoking or non-smoking, you get to choose while you're here on the earth, right? 
He found true wealth in suffering the abuse of being anointed more than anything the world could offer him. For uh, his eyes looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate. Not on the immediate, but on the ultimate. Face great reward. Holding face promise, Moses abandoned Egypt. Now you got to see what it cost him. He was second in command in Egypt. That would be like being the president of the United States or the vice president of the United States. Everything, everything around you belonged to you. And he walked away from all of that. So I don't know what you walked away from, but I promise you it wasn't that much. But he saw what was really important was not the things that you gain in this world, but the eternal life that you have with God and watching him move through you. I know you can get a loan, you can go get a loan and buy stuff, but you can believe God and sow a seed and really enjoy it. Holding face promised Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if, as if he had seen God who is unseen. You can see God. You don't have to wait. You can see him. Now we need to go to 2 Kings chapter 7 because it's just, I know I taught this before. Whoops, I taught this before, but I'm really looking forward to teaching it again because of because I get so much out of it. <laughs> no, but in, in chapter 6, in chapter 6, there was a famine in the land because they had been surrounded by Sennacherib's army. No, Second Kings chapter 7. And then, back then, because of the famine, they were paying $30 for a donkey's head and two bucks for an ounce of dove poop. Now, you got to remember that back then a few cents a day was your salary. So 30 bucks to buy a head from a donkey, and it, because you couldn't afford that, you could try to scrounge up two bucks with some other people to buy an ounce of dove poop. How many of you know that that was a tough situation? That was a serious recession that they were in. But you know, Elijah came, Elisha came and said, my God can change the economy in your life in one day. One day, the preacher said, God can change your life. See, but people say, hey, pastor, don't get people's hopes up. Nobody can change the economy in one day. My God can. Yes. Maybe not in the nation. Yeah, in the nation too, but in your nation for sure. Come on, he said things like in Psalm 2 and verse 9, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for an inheritance. What have you been asking? Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for an inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Why are you thinking small? You're thinking way too small. So he, he stands up and he says, tomorrow about this time, tomorrow about this time there'll be plenty and it's going to be cheap. Hear the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord God, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of flour be sold for 38 cents and two measures of barley for 38 cents in the gate of Samaria. It's a pretty good deal. That's quite a change, isn't it? I'm basing 38 cents on what, on what 
I asked Google to tell me how much a shekel was. So, so if it's off a little bit, don't blame me. I just just doing what was recorded there. So, but anyway, so so then the verse two. Then the a Lord whose hand the king leaned on, or in other words, his support system, then answered the man of God and said, "Behold, if the Lord could make windows in heaven, this thing couldn't be." He said. So Elisha answered him and said, and this is what he would say to anybody. He would say, you'll see it, but you, but you won't partake of it. You may see it, but you won't believe it. Because you don't believe it, rather, you really won't see it. You may hear about it, but you won't see it. You only get to play in the game when you play in the game. You never get anywhere sitting in the stands. You got to get out on the field of play and take the booze and take the the insults and all of that kind of stuff. Anybody can stay in the stands and criticize stands and criticize what's going on, but until you get out in the playing field, until you got blood on your face, until you experience it, that but that's the real game. That's moving out of the comfort zone. It's very comfortable in the bleachers, but when you get out on the playing field, it's going to cost you. But the reward is there. There's no reward in the bleachers. So anyway, he uh, he said, "Behold, you'll see it with your eyes, but you'll not partake of it. You'll not eat it." And there were four lepers, leprous men, at the entering of the gate. In verse three, four lepers men at the entering of the gate, and they said to one another, "I love this. Why should we sit here?" until we die. In other words, let's do something. Let's not just go week in, week out and do the same old stuff. Let's do something. Maybe one of these leprous men was Gehazi. I don't know. But to me, they represent Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, taking Adam into the presence of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. That's a whole other story. But what they represent to me is the church right now, especially a word of faith church. You're outside the wall. The religious people don't want anything to do with you. Matter of fact, they ridicule you and say you're blab it and grab it and they, all of those kind of things. So you're outside the gate, but now God says it's time to move. Yeah, but just think about this. A whole nation was saved because some weak, disabled, unqualified men refused to make excuses in, in spite of obvious reasons to do it. They refuse to make excuses anymore. And again, I always like to say God created man on the sixth day, and then later on that day, man created excuses. You know, God never ever called you to make an excuse. He told, called you to stand on his word. Use what you have. Take steps to imitate the devil. And again, I like to point this out. Your quitting point and your breakthrough point are the same place. Your quitting point, your breakthrough point, exactly the same place. When you feel like quitting the most, that's when your breakthrough is there. <laughs> but in a lot of people, I've watched them over the years because I've been doing this for I've been doing this for thousands of people <laughs> over the years. And I've watched them quit. And they had no idea, like they were on the 10-yard line. So close to their goal when they packed it in. I could name names, but I won't. 
So here's what they said. They said, why should we sit here until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city and there's a famine in the city and we'll die there. If we stay here, we're going to die. Now, therefore, let's do something. Let's walk towards the the host of the Syrians. And if they save us alive, we'll live. And if they kill us, oh, well, we're going to die. Too many people put a premium on life. We're, We're not supposed to be afraid of death. You know, death wears your sting. When you have eternal life, you're, you may, you're, your body may fall over and your spirit leave your mouth, but, but you're not, death is not ever going to have a hold on you anymore. And when you go, you're coming back in seven years. So, so relax. Verse 5, and they rose up. When you rise up, you break into the supernatural. When you rise up, you break into the supernatural realm. You've got to get up. You got to rise up. You're going to make a decision today. I'm doing something different. Don't go to here and nod your head and say, well, that was okay or whatever. Go to here with a challenge that I'm going to do something different. I'm going to plant seeds in, in what I'm desiring to have in my life. If I desire a job, maybe I just need to go make an application. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, but there's seeds for everything. When you look at in the Bible, there's seed for every single thing that you desire. It's all there in seed form. The book of Genesis was seed form for the, for the whole New Testament. It was already planted. They rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost parts of the camps of Syria, behold, there wasn't anybody there. Did you hear that? The things that you're afraid of, there's nobody there. It's a mirage. The things that are holding you back, just a mirage. No, but there's only two forces in the earth, faith and fear. One's from God and the other one's from the devil. Figure it out. If I'm in fear and feeling inferior, then that comes from the devil. If I'm saying I I trust God, all of a sudden when you trust God, everything changes. Everything begins to shift and you say, what? I just surrender my life to you. And as far as I make you Lord, you'll be my friend. As far as I make you Lord of my life, I'll be your friend. If I don't make you Lord of my life, then I can't sing, he's a friend of mine, or I have a friend in God, because he's not, if he's not your Lord, he's, if he's not your Lord, he's not your friend. Simple as that. They rose up in the twilight, of course, and they and the, the, the camp was empty. There was no one there. For the Lord, listen to this. For the Lord, it amplified the sound. He made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise, like in the upper room, the, the sound of the mighty rushing wind. They heard a sound, the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise, four people. And they said to one another, the king of Israel has hired men against us from the Hittites and from the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled into the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and the camp. They left everything behind. Verse 8, And when these lepers came to the uttermost parts of the camp, they went into the one tent and did eat. I smell bacon. (laughs) I smell chili coming from outside the door there. 
they did eat and drink and carried away the silver and the gold and the raiment and went and hid it. Well, that's what people do with money. It comes out of the ground, then you dig a hole in the ground and hide it. It wasn't meant for that. It was meant to be a blessing to you and a blessing to those around you. If you hoard it, you know, he didn't call you to be a reservoir. He called you to flow like a river. And when these lepers came to the uttermost parts of the camp, they went into a tent and did eat. They carried out the silver and the gold and the clothing and hid it again, and came again and entered into another tent. Like, like <laughs> then they said to one another, these guys were real, real smart. Then they said to one another, this isn't the right thing. This is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we were to tarry until the morning light, somebody, some mischief will come upon us now. Therefore, come and let us go and tell the king's household. And so, of course, they did. And um, we won't get into the rest of the story, but the rest of the story is the king didn't believe it at first. So he sent out a couple of people to spy it out. But then when he went to spy it out, the guy that said he didn't believe any of it, he got trampled at the gate. No, because you get what you ask for. <laughs> Let me read verse 12. And the king arose at night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done. They've set us a trap. They haven't gone over to the camp. They're hiding in the field waiting for us. One of the servants answered and said, let someone take, I pray you, five horses that remain. Five horses that remain, that means they had five that they didn't eat. <laughs> take the horses that remain and go and, and So they took, they took two chariot horses, verse 14, and the king sent after the host of Syria and saying, go up and see. They went up to Jordan and to, on, look at this, and all along the way was full of garments and vessels the Syrians had cast away in their haste. They were just so afraid, they were throwing things away. Do you think that's just Old Testament stuff? This same thing happened in the Six-Day War in Israel. Matter of fact, we had heard from a, a guy operating a, a Syrian tank. And he said, we were riding along, we, we had, they had the Jews so far outnumbered, it was, like, it was staggering the, the, the number of people that were gathered up against Israel. Anyway, he said, we were all coming, our big brigade of tanks. He said, we were all riding along. And he said, all of a sudden, fear gripped me. He said, there wasn't an enemy inside or anything. He said, fear gripped me. And he said, it was so bad I had to stop and get out of my tank and run. But he said, when I stopped and got out of my tank to run, he said, so did everybody else. Everybody bailed out. Because that's God. People think that, you know, that God's going to ignore all these things. I mean, if you looked at the weather forecast in Russia right now, you'd be shocked. <laughs> now, some of the things, some of the things that people bring on themselves, and they think God doesn't notice. He's noticing. Okay, one more. You got time for one more? What time is it? Oh yeah, you got time before you eat. Okay. Okay. Reading from um, Matthew chapter fourteen. This is when a man, an unsaved man, walked on the water. The potential of the human spirit. I've tried it in my bathtub many, many times. It hasn't worked for me yet. But if it ever does, I'll start a circuit preacher. The man that walked on the water is here. I couldn't part the Red Sea, but I could part my hair, he said. So that's good. Oh, very little humor there. Okay. 
Matthew chapter 14, I don't know what verse it is. As soon as they had gathered the leftovers, are you there? Matthew, Matthew 14, Peter's walking on the water. It'll say somewhere down the page. I'll look it up if you want me to. I just didn't want to. Can you find it, Pastor Nancy? It's in the New Testament. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Doesn't look right because I'm in 13. Oh, it's looking better now. It's not 25, though. It's, it's actually 22. Yeah. As soon as they had gathered the leftovers, Jesus instructed his disciples to get into a boat and cross the lake while he dismissed the crowd. As they started home at last, he went up onto the hills for a time of solitude and prayer. And by the way, here's a cool thing. I think I told you this probably every time I, I get here. But when I was driving at the end of Tiberias and going up around the lake, that same hill that Jesus said this from, he spoke to me and he said, this is what he said to my heart. I saw you in a storm too. You were in a storm of alcohol and drug addiction. And I came walking to you on the water 2,000 years later. So he caught, he caught up with me too. Thank you, Lord. As soon as he had gathered the leftovers, Jesus instructed the subs to go in the boat and cross the lake while he dismissed the crowd. As they started home at last, he went up into the hills for a time of solitude and prayer. And while he was there alone, his followers in the boat encountered an unexpected difficulty. Well, you know what? It should be expected. <laughs> Whenever you get a word from the Lord, you can expect difficulty. A storm had arisen. And they were caught in the high winds and choppy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus made his way toward them, walking on the surface of the lake. When they saw him walking on the water, they were afraid and cried out that it was a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. And, and so they were, they were panic-stricken. Jesus spoke unto them and said, Take it easy. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter responded, Lord, if it is really you, Tell me to come to you walking on the water. He said, come. Peter then stepped over the side of the ship and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. Just on the word come. The word come held him up in the water. You get a word from the Lord, you can do miraculous things. When he realized, look at this. When he realized how hard the wind was blowing. You mean to tell me if it's a calm day, you can walk on the water, but if it's windy, you can't? I mean, you got to think about this. When he saw the wind had been blowing, now he realized, as a matter of fact, this translation, the Passion Translation says, when he realized how hard the wind was blowing. Calm <laughs> breeze, he might have been okay. He became afraid and shouted, Lord, rescue me, as he began to sink. At once Jesus held out his hand in, in, to rescue him, then he said to Peter, you have some small bursts of faith and a small amount of trust. Why did you begin to doubt? Small. Matter of fact, uh, the, the Jordan translation says about that, why did you operate like a baby with your faith? 
Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? Don't you trust him? All he wants you to do is trust him. He wants you to believe what he had spoken. He's also powerful to perform. He wanted you to know, Jeremiah 1.12, that I watch over my word to perform it. He wanted you to know, Isaiah 55.11, my word will not return unto me void, but it will prosper. It will accomplish what I said in the, in the earth to do. So you get a hold of the promises of God. And again, Peter 1.4 says, they are exceeding great and precious promises. They're exceeding great and precious when you make them that. And then, and then it says you, you can partake of his divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. Does that mean you never have a problem? No, it just means you overcome it. Does that mean you never ever get sick? You overcome it. You overcome everything. This, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So believe him today. It's so simple. All we need to do is believe the Bible. <laughs> what should I do now, God? Believe. What should I do now? Trust me. Make faith so mysterious. Seven steps to faith. No, believe me. Believe what I said is true. Believe that my word is forever settled in heaven and I'm settling in your life today. Believe Psalm, Psalm 128. I've magnified my word even above my name. What does that mean? That means he wrote this new covenant and then he signed it in blood. So you can always believe it. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.